Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. The meal today will be served close to 12.30, as close as possible, and before, and that'll happen before the question period, which will go from 1 to 1.30. But before all that, we will take part in a presentation on human rights and lifestyle choices. Our presenters are, let me pronounce this properly, Pamela Das Ramos and Linda McKay Panos. Linda and Dr. Ramos... Um, are both involved with the Alberta Civil Liberties Research Center, and Linda is the president of Albert, Alberta Association for Multicultural Education and, Asso- and Association, sorry, for which Dr. Desromos is a board member. Linda is the author of several publications dealing with uh, civil liberties and human rights. She received the 2001 Suzanne Ma Award, and in 2005, she received um, an Alberta Centennial Medal for her work in human rights in Alberta. Pamela owns a training, counseling, and consulting company called Pathway to Diversity, and she has been teaching multicultural counseling to a master's degree candidates for over 15 years. Please give them a warm welcome. hard to barely see me, eh? Thank you. (laughs) So thank you for inviting us to speak today. Thank you for inviting the Alberta Civil Liberties Research Center. And on the table outside, there's some brochures about the Alberta Civil Liberties Research Center. Um, As an organization in Alberta, our mission is to promote awareness among Albertans about civil liberties and human rights, and to do that through research and education. So we do research on various topics of human rights, and we issue publications, and we also do human rights education. We do a lot of our human rights education in schools, but we also get invited to groups like this and to other community groups to talk about whatever people are interested in regarding human rights. We also provide um, education and guidance and advice to the public on issues of human rights. So today we've been asked to speak about polygamy, civil rights, and freedom of religion. And as with many issues, there are several perspectives on these issues. For example... Polygamy has been an accepted cultural and religious practice in other parts of the world for over many years. And even if we restrict our discussion to the situation in bountiful British Columbia, there is no one civil liberties perspective on issues in that community. So for the purposes of today's presentation, we're going to focus on the perspectives of two organizations, the Alberta Civil Liberties Research Center and the BC Civil Liberties Association. I'm going to talk about the perspectives of the Alberta Civil Liberties Research Center, and Linda is going to talk about the perspectives of the BC Civil Liberties Association. So the context for the discussion was Section 293 of the Criminal Code of Canada, and there are copies of this on each table. 
Section 293 of the Criminal Code of Canada broadly prohibits polygamy and has been on the books for over 100 years. In addition, it has not been recently prosecuted. For example, while polygamy has been practiced in bountiful British Columbia for decades, the position of the BC government is that charges should not be laid under Section 293 because it would not survive a challenge under the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, Charter Section 7, 15, or 2B. With respect to the Alberta Civil Liberties Centre, no. With respect to the Alberta Civil Liberties Research Centre, in 2005, we were asked by Status of Women Canada to provide commentary on the following issues. One, what are the implications related to the legal and social status of women if governments neither prosecute nor legalize polygamy? Two, how does the non-prosecution of polygamy laws hinder the protection of women's and children's rights, women and children's equality rights? How does Canadian law deal with conflicting rights such as freedom of religion and equality under the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms in issues such as polygamy? And after much discussion among the staff, we came to the following conclusions. Polygamy as it's practiced in Bountiful creates conflict between two very important values in Canada, freedom of choice and equality. And while it may be argued that a person in Canada has the right to live a polygamous lifestyle, the practice may harm women and children's formal equality to such an extent that it should be prohibited. The practice of polygamy and bountiful falls within the scope of freedom of religion. And although the Charter does not define freedom of religion or freedom of conscience, Canadian jurisprudence, or case law, indicates that freedom of religion under Charter Section 2B includes the right to entertain religious beliefs as one chooses. The right to declare religious beliefs openly without fear of punishment or hindrance, and the right to show one's belief by worship and practice. The court generally does not inquire into the veracity or truth of a religious belief. It merely looks at whether the belief is sincere. The courts have also recognized that there are some limitations on freedom of religion, and these include conflicts with other rights, harm, individual and public safety harm, and significant societal interests. The courts have provided some guidance as to what might occur if the right to freedom of religion conflicts with other rights. It's clear that the intrusion of freedom of religion cannot be minimal on the other right, nor trivial, in order to be limited. In one case, the court held that freedom of religion is subject to limits necessary to ensure public safety, health, or morals. And while it was quite straightforward for the Alberta Civil Liberties Research Center to conclude that for Bountiful, Charter Section 2B, the right to freedom of religion was engaged because polygamy was a sincerely held belief of the members of the fundamentalist sect of the Latter-day Church, we had to then seriously examine whether there should be limits on that right because it either intruded on other rights in a non-trivial way 
or there was significant danger to public safety, health, or morals. So first, we looked at the right to gender equality expressed in Charter Section 15.1 and Charter Section 2b. We noted that the law has certainly evolved slowly when it comes to gender equality. We also noted that there's an ethos in Canada with respect to how people conduct their private affairs, such as marital relationships. We examined whether gender equality was at issue with respect to polygamy and bountiful. At the time of our paper, we examined equality through the lens of law versus Canada case, which requires at base an infringement of human dignity in order for a violation of equality rights to be found. We were also faced with the reality that while the norm in Canada is monogamous relationships, these may or may not result in equality for women and girls. However, we also noted that the modern monogamous relationship with the advent of various family law provisions has within it the prospect or potential for equality. A polygamous home involves a division of a husband's labor, time, and resources among several wives and children. Children in polygamous homes receive part-time fathering and transient support. And while this may also be the case in single family or single parent homes, polygamy and bountiful creates the situation where a number of children and women are economically and emotionally dependent on one man. This can create emotional and financial distress on the women and children. In addition, it is common practice in bountiful for the women not to have any choice with respect to their mates. Choice resides solely with the men. And in addition, because of the closed nature of the community and the lack of education, especially of the girls, it's difficult to argue that any choice that might be exercised by the women would be freely made after due consideration of all the options. How would they become aware of their options? If we accept that with criminalizing polygamy and bountiful, we have a conflict between equality and freedom of religion, how might the courts resolve this conflict? First, the Supreme Court of Canada has indicated that the Charter does not create a hierarchy of rights. When faced with an apparent conflict of rights, the courts indicate that a balance must be struck, a balance that respects both sets of rights. And if the rights cannot be reconciled, then a true conflict exists, and the court requires that an analysis under Charter Section 1 and the law can be saved because it's reasonable and justifiable in a free and democratic society, an analysis must be undertaken in order to balance the interests at stake. We concluded that following the court's analysis, freedom of religion and equality may not be reconciled until an examination of Charter Section 1 occurred. We also concluded that because there are no precedent cases that involve reconciling these two rights, equality and freedom of religion, under Section 1, we will have to make our best guess by looking at similar cases. For example, freedom of expression versus equality. Because in these cases, courts have found that equality and harm to women and children can be paramount, we believe that courts could also save polygamy laws on this basis. In addition to reconciling the quality 
equality and freedom of religion, the center also examined the harms associated with polygamy as practiced in Bountiful. We had some admitted difficulties in separating the harms associated with polygamy from those associated with living in a closed theocratic community. In addition, we noted that harms associated with polygamy may be difficult to separate from those associated with patriarchy. We also noted that it could be a general harm to Canadian society if we develop separate, fam separate family law based on religion in various communities. We argue that polygamy and bountiful is harmful to children, women, and society because it perpetuates a value system premised on the idea that women have no place in a community as fully equal citizens. The women are told what to believe and are controlled entirely by the men. They are conditioned to believe that women are subject to the will of their husbands and or their fathers. Further, women in this community have no real freedom of choice to leave. Finally, there was evidence that girls as young as 13 and 14 years of age were betrothed or married to men old enough to be their grandfathers. And we've circulated a photograph illustrating um, the father of the current leader, Warren Jeffs, and two of his wives, who were quite young at the time. And I understand that this picture is also available on the web. We also recognize that those opposed to criminalizing polygamy argue that it is preferable to address the underlying criminal behaviors, such as underage intercourse, incest, and related offenses, rather than prosecute polygamy. However, we argue that these offenses do not address the psychological harms and human rights abuses that occur. Finally, we looked at the social and legal implications from the non-prosecution or legalization of polygamy. We examined the policy and legal implications of relationship breakdown, custody, property division, social assistance, benefits and taxation, wills, consent to medical treatment, immigrations, human rights, and property, among others. And needless to say, if equality required that we modify these systems, we would argue that it should be done, despite the cost or chaos. We, however, conclude that legalizing polygamy would result in the requirement that these laws be significantly amended. The Alberta Civil Liberties Research Center concluded that while we in general are supportive of freedom of choice and the lack of governmental interference in people's private lives, the harms and equality concerns raised by the practice of polygamy and bountiful justify a continued criminalization of the practice. If, no, a continued criminalization of the practice, even if it's for religious reasons. And we have available a copy of our um, document, which Linda will make available to your organization if you'd like to see the full paper. Linda. So Josh has asked me to remind you all to turn off your cell phones. So, 
So my job is to present uh, another civil liberties perspective, quite different from ours, and uh, interesting because originally the BC Civil Liberties Association uh, was in agreement with us, and uh, we were sort of somewhat relieved by that because we had taken a lot of criticism for our position. I mean, after all, we're civil liberties, people should, you know, no interference from the government and so on. Um, however, along the way, they have changed their mind and they have been asked and, were, and prepared a brief. So just so you know where we're at with this situation, um, this bountiful community is, is unique in Canada. There are, you know, little bits and pieces of uh, new Canadians who come in, in in polygamous relationships that are legal at home where they've come from. And also, of course, we don't know how many sort of plural arrangements we have in general in this country, but it's pretty minimal. Um, but... Bountiful has existed for you know over four decades, and 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 they they uh, other than some school related investigations with respect to the education that happens there, uh, very little has been done in terms of, of enforcing the law, uh, section two ninety three in in particular, and um, there's been a lot of pressure uh, even from the federal government on on um, the BC uh, Attorney General too use Section 293 to prosecute polygamy. And they have refused because their argument is that it's uh, Section 293 is unconstitutional and would be struck down. So finally, um, <clears throat> the B.C. Attorney General has sent a question called a reference to the Supreme Court of B.C., which is the equivalent of our Court of Queen's Bench in Alberta. And the questions they've been asked to determine are one is section 293 consistent with the charter and if and if not uh how and secondly um what are the necessary elements that need to be proven and does section 293 require that the polygamy involve a minor or, or occurred in the context of dependence exploitation abuse of authority or a gross imbalance of power, or so on. So the harms that we already discussed, uh, Pamela discussed. So it's a little bit different project in terms of we were asked to research was there a violation of freedom of religion and how do we balance it with equality. They've been asked is it violation of charter altogether. And so BC has taken the position that um, it... The, Section 293 sever, uh, violates several of the provisions of the Charter of Rights, but in particular Section 7, which we didn't address in our paper at all, and that's life, liberty, and security of the person. Um, they do acknowledge that there are harms uh, emerging from um, this particular community in British Columbia that are very real. They say that the proper role, though, for, is for the state to limit the harms by ensuring that children are not abused, that the children receive the proper education, that their property rights are enforced, the women and, and the children, and most importantly, that all the marriages that occur are truly consensual. Um, the BCCLA is concerned that an attack on polygamy will simply drive it underground and that it will make it even harder for the state to address the real dangers faced by these vulnerable uh, members of these uh, polygamous families. First, Their first criticism uh, of Section 293 is that it's so broadly worded that it prohibits all multi-party uh, relationships, whether they be marriage or marriage-like relationships, uh, including polygyny, which is 
uh, multiple female partners, polyandry, which is multiple male partners. I'm, I'm kind of up for that one. <laughs> and same-sex, multi-party, conjugal unions, unions. So in other words, all kinds of plural relationships are caught by this section. And they say that this is an intrusion into the bedrooms of adults in this, in this country um, and that people should be able to decide uh, what type of relationship best meets his or her needs and that the state should stay, as um, Prime Minister Trudeau once said, out of the bedrooms of the nation. Um, they also say that the wording is so grossly disproportionate to any interest that the state has uh, in preventing harm. In other words, it's so broadly worded that, uh, yes, it probably would prevent some harms, but it prevents a lot of other things that um, we don't want to be preventing. Um, they take issue with the argument that plural relationships result in a marketplace harms and harms to children. They say that, um, they argue that, um, and I don't always agree with all their arguments, by the way, but and in particular this one. They say that we don't really have a lot of plural relationships in Canada. It's extremely rare, so consequently, why are we making it illegal? And um, I would argue in response to that, it, murder is pretty rare in Canada too, but it's also illegal. Anyway, um, they also argue that the lost boys, and I don't know if you're familiar with that term, um, because we have these head males marrying multiple uh, females, um, there's not enough partners for the other boys, in the, uh, the young men, and they're sent away. Uh, they're sort of disenfranchised, and some of them are sent to work farms. There's one in Utah, I guess, and there's I think there's one in Alberta. And so um, they argue that that effect and, and the low age of marriage of the females uh, neither of those uh, justify criminalization of polygamy. They say that these uh, are not uh, national uh, types of harms, that it's uh, focused on this one community, and that um, they, they say that there's no evidence if we decriminalize polygamy that everyone will go out and start uh, uh, having polygamous relationships. Um, and so, therefore, they argue that it's an extreme measure to the, ensure that women, um, a, a sufficient number of women in that community remain on the marriage market. They're addressing that lost boys argument. Um, now, there is reported violence and abuse experienced by people who've left the community, and they argue that, the, that they support that um, this would indicate that we should be prosecuting those abusive individuals and not... Um, polygamy itself. They also really emphasize that the abuse of women and the children, is a, those are distinct matters that should be dealt with, addressed directly. Um, and I have some comments on that. I guess I could comment on it now. My comment is, is based on when we did our research, very difficult to get cooperation from the community. They're very defensive. They when they found out we were researching it, they phoned me, a group of women, to say, don't, don't pick on us. Uh, we have a wonderful life. This is our choice. It's all good, um, and so on. So I'm thinking it may be very difficult to ascertain what kind of abuse is going on other than perhaps psychological abuses and, and the general abuse of the boys who are sent away. 
Um, and so I'm not wondering, you know, they haven't prosecuted it, any of the abuses, child abuse and, and low-age marriage and so on yet. So I'm, not, I'm wondering why they think that they would go ahead and do that after we legalize polygamy. But they haven't prosecuted it with polygamy either. So um, they also make an interesting argument that facing criminal charges for polygamy affects people's psychological stress level and assaults their emotional integrity. Um, so they have to hide who they are and hide their intimate relationships because they're fearful of prosecution. And finally, they argue that the wording is so poorly calibrated in that section that it utterly tramples on the rights of those consenting adults who for reasons of personal conscience, family orientation, or religious belief, believe in plural relationships. Since plural relationships are not inherently harmful, they should be judged on their merits and are, and are not currently being done so. This results in an extreme, grossly disproportionate response to the state's interest in avoiding harm. If abuses occur in relationships, whether plural or monogamous, state intervention through the criminal law or civil law may be appropriate instead. So they're saying, let's just prosecute the individual abuses associated in this community, uh, but not the polygamy itself. They did not address Section 15 at all in their brief um, or freedom of religion. Uh, we did, so, um, but we did not address Section 7. So it's a different, a different take. We did make an offhand remark saying this is not to say there aren't some problems with the wording of Section 7 in that it's too broad and it may need to be narrowed. Um, but we just made that as an offhand remark because we just had to get our two cents worth in on, on that. So it, uh, at the moment, it will be very interesting to see the results of the case at hand. Uh, I know this sounds a little emotional, but what really we really, really struggled with this issue at the center because we started off on one page and we ended up on a different, completely different page. And I think getting that sent that picture, I know it sounds kind of silly, but that sort of helped persuade us uh, uh, along a different d direction. Seeing what it looks like had an impact on us for, for, uh, for what the positive or the negative, whatever you take of it. So thank you.